I really like a good comeback story, especially when I'm on the right side of one. A couple Fridays ago, we, some of you know that I play volleyball a couple times a week, and a couple Fridays ago, our team had made finals night, which was the end, part of the end of the season tournament, and so we were, we were the number one seed for the season. This is going to be a humble brag for, for a, couple, a couple minutes. Just, just bear with me, though. We were the number one seed for the season, so we were in finals. We were in the championship game, and we started playing, and we, we just immediately started losing to this other team, and we are easily the oldest team in the level of play that, that we're in. We, we just, a couple of us are, are just a little bit longer in the tooth than most of the other people. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, you're still young guys. Like, yeah, I, I know that intellectually. I just don't feel that in my knee or my shoulders or, or just about everywhere else. And so we're, we're out there, we're playing, and, and this team has beaten us, and we know that they shouldn't be beating us, but, it, but it's happening. But it's it, it's even worse because there's this kid, there's this young kid over there on the other side of the net who's playing, who's playing with him, who's just, I mean, he is ant. I mean, this is, you can tell this is the highlight of his week because they are beating us. And, and they, he's just loving it. He's talking. He's running his mouth. He's not necessarily talking trash, but he's just, he's just being loud. He's being obnoxious, you know, talking to other team, you know, kind of like coaching them, helping, helping them along. And some of you don't know this about me, but I have early onset grumpy old man disease. And so I'm just thinking, and I don't, I don't generally run my mouth because I think your play should speak for you. And so I'm just thinking, I, all I'm thinking is, I'm going to shut this kid up. Like, that, that is my goal. It's like, as soon as it starts getting quiet on the other side of the net, that's how I know we're in the right spot. And so we start playing. We, we eventually, we never do this, but we take a timeout. We kind of talk, talk about things, just kind of get back into it. And we're older, so it takes us a little bit to warm up. So we come out of the timeout, and we just started, we start clawing our way back. And, and we're playing so much better. And we get to the point where we tie the game. It's 11-11. It's getting a lot quieter on the other side of the net. Well, let me, let me let you know how quiet it got. We ended the game 25-14. to 14. So from that point on, they only scored three more points, and we just handed it to them, beat them again in the next game, and it felt great. I mean, that kid didn't say a word for the rest, for the rest of the night. And it was just such a great, great feeling. I, I love that. Oh, man, it was so, so amazing. So I just wanted to share that with you. I, I love a good comeback story, especially, like I said, when you're on the right side of one. Everybody likes those stories. And, and we have the, the feel-good ones where the, the now movie stars, you know, they, they lived in poverty until they could finally sell their movie script, or they finally got that big break after working, you know, three different service-type type jobs, or, you know, the author who has spent years going around to different publishers trying to get their book made, and they finally get that done, and, and just these, these stories that come out of nowhere of success, you know, people come from the bottom and claw their way to the top. I mean, those are things that we enjoy. We like to see those on other people because we like... We like those things to happen to us. Of course, there's a flip side to that coin. So there's the comeback story, and then there's, there's the, the comeuppance story. That's the, that's the flip side of the coin. I really like those two. Some of y'all, <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, and, and I'm just admitting that. I, I like those two because there's some people who are at this really great height, and, and you know they shouldn't be. And they've kind of gotten there because they've been dishonest or they've been jerks and or they kind of flaunt it, you know, or somebody gave them what they have and they just, they don't have a good sense of the world. And sometimes it's just nice to see people fail. Can we, can we admit, is this a safe place to admit that? I mean, sometimes it just, it feels good because let's be honest, we're a little bit jealous or, or maybe it's just, it's nice sometimes to see justice 
finally, finally come about. Just within the last couple of weeks, there have been several different cheating scandals in different sporting type events that are not your mainstream thing. So some of you, I don't know if any of you follow chess at all. I follow chess a little bit. Um, little, any poker followers at all? I don't follow poker as much, but just because of some of the other things that you know, I hear, hear about this, this. Or fishing competitions, any, any fishing competitions that you guys follow some of that? I mean, there have been some really big scandals or accusations of, of cheating in those worlds over the last couple of weeks. So, some of you, so I see some of you nodding, you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly, I know exactly what, what you're talking about. And some of those, I, I mean, they're all over the place. The chess one is really fascinating right now. The poker one is kind of crazy because they're not really sure that's what happened and, and, and those kinds of things. But the fishing one, the fishing one has been confirmed. There's this duo these two guys, I know some of you, like, you don't care about fishing, fishing at all, but just imagine with me how terrible this would be. There's, this, there's this, this, uh, this duo, these two guys, who have been winning just all the fishing tournaments. So last several years, they've won hundreds of thousands of dollars in prize money, okay? I mean, just blowing everybody out of the water. Well, just last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, and I'm sure this is on ESPN two or, or something like that. You can, you can look it up later. But they were caught. They had been cheating this whole time. And so the tournament organizer actually took their fish and they were gutting the fish and pulling out these massive lead weights, fishing weights that they had been stuffing their fish with to win all the like $125,000 boats that were the first prizes and stuff and just blowing everybody out of the water. And man, and, and there's people that were taking video of this happening and you couldn't believe how, how excited, well maybe you can imagine how excited the crowd was because they had finally been caught. Because I imagine you've been fishing for a while, you look at a fish and somebody says, this is a 10 pound fish and you're like, that, that can't even be more than four. Like what are you talking about? How does that fish weigh so much? And so people, had, there had been some rumbling suspicions and stuff, but they were finally, finally caught incontrovertible evidence that, that, that they had been cheating. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we like a comeback story and sometimes we like a comeuppance story too because I like the word comeuppance. I don't get to use that very often. So I enjoy that with me, if you will, because they connect with something visceral inside of all of our hearts. These huge rises and these huge falls are an invariable part of the human condition. We've all lived through those things in varying degrees. We've had successes and we've had failures and sometimes it's just nice to see that we are not the only ones. There's one storyline that involves both of those, though, that we like even better, and that is the redemption story. All great stories have a character with a redemptive arc. Any, wh whatever you're a fan of, whatever kind of stories that you're a fan of, if book, TV, film, plays, um, telling a story around the campfire, whatever it is, all great stories have some sort of redemption story. The Bible, if you read through the Bible, the Bible is full of redemption stories. And there's a reason why those connect with us even more than any other story that we can tell in the world. It's because every one of us knows that we need redemption in our lives. As we get closer to the end of the sermon series, and as we're talking about the theology of our mission, we are getting closer to the beginning of our mission statement. And so we're going to take an introspective theological view on us, helping people find Jesus and love God. We're going to be talking about people. And when it comes to people and how we relate to God on a very basic level, we are imperfect people whose sin is an affront to God's holiness. And when left to our own devices, we put ourselves on a path of destruction and death. And yet God chooses to measure his holiness with love. 
and provides the opportunity through Jesus for us all to have redemption stories, regardless of what we've got in our past or our present or even in our future. And so here's what that means for how we view mankind. Every person has the potential for redemption. That's a whole lot easier said than lived out. Because you start, you start thinking about that phrase, and, and, and I, maybe this is a surprise, but I, I do think about some of these things, you know, before, before I put them up here, before, before I say them. But when I say every person has the potential for redemption, every person. So we start thinking about that. We start thinking about the people that we know, people in our lives, the, the people that maybe we don't even necessarily want to have Redemption because of the interactions that we've had with them. I mean, for me, that phrase is a big struggle because there are people that I've met through my life, the way that they've treated me, the interactions that I've had with them, that that is not necessarily how I think about them on the outset. That, that's not the first thing that comes to mind is that, hey, this person, uh, this person, even they have the potential for redemption. When we see others exposed in their sin, it's much easier and sometimes more natural for us to write them off and think purely of the correction they deserve, the justice that should be meted out. And while justice and correction are good and righteous things, they aren't supposed to be the only things. It's really cheap and it's really easy to be vindictive or apathetic about the lives of others who don't meet our expectations. But the love that God models for us and the faith that Jesus instills in us compels us to view our fellow man and our fellow woman in such a way that we hope and pray and work for the best possible outcomes in their life when it comes to our interaction with that other person. Yes, even for that really annoying coworker. Yes, even for the neighbor who has a live band and light show and plays really loud music and has their bass turned up so much that your windows rattle and it's happening for seven hours and you're trying to get to sleep because you're going to get up and go to church and preach the next morning. If that sounds really oddly specific, there might be a reason for that. Uh, you know, that person who makes all those political comments, the people that you know that are always making the same mistakes over and over again, that family member that's selfish, even the per person who has treated us as if we are the enemy, and perhaps even the people who threaten our way of life. Keeping people in the right frame of mind with our, when our, within our own life experience is difficult because so many people mean so many different things to us and impact us in so many different ways. And there are so many different social pressures and cues that we get mixed signals on. Who, who are we supposed to hate again? And who are we supposed to ostracize? And who are we supposed to welcome? Who, but we're supposed to love everyone, right? And that, that, how does, how does that, all that work? It all gets pretty confusing. I mean, we're supposed to have boundaries, you know, all, the, all those things. Who are we supposed to allow in our lives and who are we supposed to cut out? Who are the toxic people? Who are the, you know, you know where I'm headed with that. It all gets pretty confusing or overwhelming. And it's much easier to just kind of put our heads down and stick to our like kinds and let them be them. But that's not how God looks at people. And that's not how he looks at us. And we can't keep our heads in the sand but for so long. And so we need a better way forward to contextualize our interactions. And so maybe your internal dialogue is like, oh, I know where he's headed. It's like God tells us to love everyone. It's actually, no, that, that's not where we're headed. We, we talked about love a couple weeks ago, so we're, we're done with that. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Um, no, actually, loving people is not quite, not quite the first step. I mean, it's, it's a good first practical step, but as far as, as we look at people theologically and how we understand how we're supposed to view one another, the first step is not, not really just love people because it all depends on how you define that. 
I mean, sometimes we define love with like, well, I'm okay, you're okay. Like, you, you do you, I'm going to do me, and we're all good. Well, that's, that's not working. <laughs> we're, we're, we've been experimenting that, with that with our culture for a long time, and it's just not happening. And so instead, let me give you a two-word Latin phrase that I think will help put all those things into perspective when it comes to how we view ourselves and one another. And that two-word Latin phrase is imago Dei. Some of you know Latin, and, and you know what that means, but I'll go ahead and throw it up on the screen. Imago Dei just simply means image of God. And so this is the way that I want us to think. When we say people, helping people find Jesus and love God, when we say people in, in our mission statement, we are thinking about people in this, these terms, in this term, that people are made in the image of God. This is a theological understanding of how we think and view people, and it's in direct reference to God's words about what he says when he creates us very early on in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So let me just read those verses. Then God said, let us, he's referring to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And when God says this, he's not talking about, oh, let's, let's, let, let's self-portrait time. So let's get the canvas out, and let me look in the mirror, and, and let me draw myself onto these other beings that I'm going to create. That's, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the characteristics and nature and attributes, some of the personality types, some of the needs and desires that we have in life. Um, all of the things that we could list, you know, from the fruit of the Spirit, there's characteristics of, of who we're supposed to aspire to be. But overall, instilling within us the desire to share in joy and the goodness of God with him and with each other. And when we look at one another, and when, we truly li- when we truly look at one another, because it's easy, it's easy for us to see past each other or to never make eye contact and never really look at one person. You, you think about our interactions. I mean, so often they're, they're very much like the ones that we have walking down the street. And when I walk down the sidewalk, I'm often, I'm often looking up and, and trying to make eye contact with the person who's there because, you know, just, just to be able to nod or, or that kind of thing. And it's amazing how many times people just don't, don't look up. They just keep going. That momentary brief interaction maybe is, is too uncomfortable or too weird. And, and that's, um, I don't know, that, that's, that's problematic for a culture, I think. But when we, do, when we do make that eye contact, when we do see that person in front of us, do we see one another the way that God sees us? Is there, is there this recognition, the sense of recognition and a closer look at the things that are markers that this other human being across from me isn't just another man, isn't just another woman, isn't just this other person who just happens to be in my way as I'm walking down the street, but this other person is made in God's image. This, this person, this person that I'm looking at has within them the imago Dei. It's a very different way of thinking about and looking at other people. Way too often we're tempted to look at the tag on the back of someone and define them by the things that they put on or the things that they've been told to put on their life or the things that they're having to carry around and let those be the labels that we call them by and love them philosophically but not practically. Oh, I love everyone. 
But here are the people that I'm not interested at all in ever interacting with in my life. Here are the people that I don't want to welcome into my house. But I love them. <laughs> Just doesn't, doesn't quite connect. People have had, never had more access to being made or remodeled into whoever's image that they want to be made in. We can believe whatever we want. It's acceptable in our society. We can be who we want. We can be led by our dissatisfactions and imperfections and do all kinds of things to feed into those things in our life. And yet all of those things miss the core of our being in which we are so much more than anything we could ever come up with on our own. God looks at his creation of men and women and says, this is very good. Because now here's this creation, here are these people, these human beings with whom I can share my goodness and glory with. And we are so often tempted and given into that temptation to settle for such meager scraps that are cheaply manufactured by the world around us. So evil doesn't want us to think about each other in terms of the Imago Dei. The enemy doesn't want us to look around and think, hey, God created this other human being who is across from me, and they have the potential for so much more than who they are and what they can be. The enemy is caught up in this perpetual motion driven by pain machine that wants us to look away from the reflection of God that we see within the lives of other people and instead only see what we are separated by. And this is why our sin is such a major problem to be dealt with. It only leads to pain in our life, and it only leads to separation, which always eventually gets us to destruction and death. And this is why this spectacular problem had to be spectacularly overcome by Jesus, who leads us to the redemption we so, we so need and we have the potential for because God has created it within us. It's just, it's just a reminder of the basics. God created us in his image. Very good. And then we broke it. We, sin, we choose ourselves. We choose other people. We choose our wants and, and desires. We shattered the image of God in us because of our sin, destroying our connection to his glory. And so we become very bad. And God doesn't look at us and say, well, Ah, you broke it. You buy it. So no, I'll, 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 take, I'll take care of that too. And so he sends Jesus to save us through redemption. And then as disciples of Jesus, who have accepted that free gift of grace, we become very good again. When we have this made in God's image, imago Dei view of the potential of other people, and maybe, maybe even the potential for yourself. Maybe you have gotten to the place where you don't even see that potential within yourself, that, that you can be redeemed. When we, when we see that in other people and in ourselves, it changes the way we view the value of human life and what we live our own lives for. Paul in the New Testament, and we're getting ready to read a, a, a section of verses from 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Paul is a fantastic example of this within the New Testament because of his, his story arc is one of redemption. Paul starts off as there was a hair attached to the microphone. That was fun. Um, I was trying to get in my mouth, so probably my wife's hair. and Because it's really long, that's why. And, and, and Paul, Paul is in this place in his life where he's, he actually has a, has a different name. And part of his redemptive uh, story arc is that God gives him, gives him a brand new name and a brand new lease on life. And so Saul, he's going around actively persecuting people, leading to their death who are following Jesus. And so God stops him in his tracks. Jesus stops him. And he says, hey, you, you, you don't understand. You're, you're missing. You're missing out 
on all the, all the fervor that you have, all the, all the attention that you're giving in, in life is, is so, so grossly misplaced. Let me, let me just give you the direction that you need. And so even this, this murderer who is completely wholly dead set against God, Jesus stops in his tracks and he changes life. He gives him a redemptive story arc. And from that point on, Paul Instead of actively seeking to destroy his enemies, he's now shifted his life to seeking to redeem them. And so here's what, here's what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to hear you, he, I, want, I want us to hear these verses and read them as a way f- of understanding how Paul now contextualizes his interaction with other people and what he lives his life for. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, and he's talking about our created beings, our jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul's talking about the self-sacrificial way in which he is living for other people so that they might be introduced to Jesus and be redeemed. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I so spoke. And so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul is fully, fully aware of all the issues of life, even the inevitability of physical death, and yet he does not allow this to dissuade him from the mission of seeing the potential for spiritual redemption of people and the spiritual life that translates into an eternity with God. And so the example that Paul is setting for us, the way in which his perspective has changed is he's seeing the Imago Dei and the people around him, and why he's living his life for others, is that he's looking for the eternal potential in other people the way that God does. And that's the example that's set forth for us. That's why people are involved in, in the mission. The Imago Dei doesn't just look at somebody's current state or circumstances. That perspective doesn't just look at their story as where they are right now, but as the potential for where God can take that person's story. And become who God has created them to be, a reflection of his goodness and glory. And part of that is just understanding that that's true about ourselves too. That's what God desires for us. That's the reason why we have rules for a church when it comes to people being engaged here and coming here and being a part of our church family. Some of you have these memorized. You've seen them on the sign. No perfect people allowed. No one stands alone. Everyone's story matters. We have those rules because this is a part of the perspective of seeing the Imago Dei in other people. So we say no perfect people allowed because we've recognized that we've all fallen short and sinned and we need salvation. We recognize that other people are made in God's image and are welcome to join us and to be invited by us 
to accept the free gift of redemption that Jesus offers to all of us and that we all need. It's an acknowledgement that we are not perfect, and because of that, we need to seek a standard of living that is beyond us and one that we share and encourage one another in as a church body. No one stands alone. We pick our heads up and we see people, not for who we think they are or who they think they are, but for who God believes that they are. Fellow pieces in a mosaic that reflects God's character and nature whom we need to see in order to see the whole picture. We, we need one another in, in order to see God more fully in our life. We can choose to isolate, but it won't result in a comeback. This is an open invitation. When we say this, no one stands alone, because people choose to stand alone all the time. So we can't, we can lead a horse to water, but can't make them drink, right? We can choose to isolate, but this is an open invitation to develop the relationships that are part of the redemption process, because we need one another within that to help us along and encourage us and challenge us to draw closer to God and experience what he desires for us. And we say everyone's story matters. This is both an invitation and an appeal for anyone to discover their, their place within God's story. An invitation that, hey, we're not interested in excluding other people because of us and our opinions and our thoughts. I mean, if there's any exclusion or, or obstacle that happens, it's going to be because of who Jesus is, and that's who we're going to point to. And we're going to say, hey, you, you, you matter because God, God believed that you mattered enough to send his son to redeem you. It's an appeal that for anyone who calls Velocity the church, that this is the expected perspective that we have for other people. Because this is the perspective that Jesus had. And the result of that perspective is redemption through his death, burial, and resurrection. And everyone's story matters not, not because it's all about us, but it's because God makes it matter through the story of Jesus. Everyone has potential for redemption, not because they can make it happen on their own, and that comes from some sort of untapped, unknown strength from within themselves, but it, because God makes this possible through Jesus. So here, here's, what I wanna, here's what I encourage you to do this, this week. I want, you to, I want you to think of people in terms of the Imago Dei. Think, think, think of people in terms of, hey, this, this person that I'm looking at has been made in the image of God. And what, what, what characteristic, what nature, what, what attribute am I seeing in this person that, that points me to who God is? And how can, I, how can I encourage that person in that so that they might understand that they can be redeemed too? And so, let me, the, the way to do that, and I know this, this might silly, but it might sound silly, but let me just encourage you to make eye contact with people this week in a way that maybe you normally don't. Whether it's walking past them on the street or going through the checkout line, maybe it's just taking another extra few seconds just to actually, actually intentionally just make eye contact. And not, let, let me just say, not in a creepy way, like I, I shouldn't have to say that, you know, the caveat, but not like... You know, I, I don't know, think about your, practice in front of a mirror maybe uh, before, you know, because, you, you know, facial expression matters and, and you're not trying to look longingly into their eyes or anything. Like, like there's, there's a creepy way to do that, so don't do that. And if you do, don't tell them you're from Velocity. Um, <clears throat> but but just, just intentionally, like, take time to recognize the humanity of the other person and the fact that it's not just that they're a fellow human being, but they're a fellow human being created in God's image. 
that, that their value and worth is not just you know, trying to get through the, the checkout line as quickly as possible, but, but we, can, we can make a connection with other, per, other people of eternal significance just when, just when we just take the time to see them and understand who they are and recognize. And when we do that, it's amazing the opportunities that they're created for conversations or understanding. You know, sometimes you look at somebody's eyes and you just tell, hey, this person needs to talk. This person has something going on. I mean, this, this person needs, needs, needs something. There's a way in which the Holy Spirit has, can guide us into um, just eternally changing significant moments with, with other people when we think of one another in that way. Yeah, every week at Velocity, we, we take communion uh, together. And when we do that, we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and today, as, as we, we think about people being made in the image of God and how God views us, I, I can't help but think of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, uh, because Paul says, uh, for anyone who's been baptized in Christ, you've been clothed with Christ. And so when he says that, we've, just, we've got this image that when God looks at us, and I know sometimes people struggle with how God looks at them. It's like, well, God can never love me because I've done this, this, this. When God looks at us as disciples of Jesus, he, he doesn't just see us. He doesn't just look at Rob and he doesn't see all the things. Well, he's not great at this. He doesn't do this well. These are things. He, he doesn't just see that. He sees, he sees Jesus, who's, who's made whole the shattered picture that I've created because of my sin. And so when he, when he looks at us as we celebrate this moment, it's, it's us celebrating this foundation of our redemption story. That then when God looks at us, he sees Jesus in us, who's made us, who's made us whole, who's changed what's broken and made it complete again. So as we take communion this morning, I just ask that you, you think about that. As you think about that about yourself, what God has done through Jesus in your life, um, consider how that affects how we view others as well. So let's pray. Let's pray as we take communion together this morning. God, thank you for this moment for us to pause and, and recognize our value and our worth through, uh, through you and what you have done, that you have created us, that you have given us a part of yourself, that you've given us holy uh, you through Jesus so that we might be redeemed back to you. God, help us to, help us to see this, to recognize this in ourselves when we look in the mirror. Help us to, to see this potential in others as we see them throughout our lives and help us to work, work toward that. Help us to use this example that Paul gives as, a, as an understanding. Hey, there's, there's an eternity in the balance here at stake that this, this redemptive story that you've called us all into and help us to work, work through that and truly see those, those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.